Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. The Tennis Podcast. The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph, brought to you by myself, Catherine Whitaker of Eurosport and David Law of BBC Radio 5 Live and BT Sport and many other places. And we are in the particular place of Marlebone Station, aren't we, David? We are both back in the UK, some of us more recently than others this this podcast is brought to you in association with the telegraph and with jet lag everywhere because we are struggling a little aren't we uh, well yeah you particularly because i've been here for a week and i'm just getting over it if only if only there was something that could take a picture of you now oh there is and uh, i'm going to post it on twitter and facebook and instagram and anything else i can show it on because Catherine, at the moment is wearing a coat that makes her look like a lion stroke a husky wolf with the fluffiest furriest mane you've ever seen in your life and it's because we're sitting outside uh, the uh, the coffee shop which i will not name because they're not sponsoring us and this this coat is the best investment i ever made if it weren't for this coat i'd be in a well of misery right now upon my return to the uk after four weeks of glorious melbourne this this coat is the only thing keeping me from a deep deep well of despair yeah, well, uh, you will probably have already seen a picture of it by now. And if you haven't, go to our tennis podcast because I'm going to post it. Because we, we've had to wait 15 minutes to record the podcast until I stopped laughing. <laughs> He's not actually joking. He's just been breaking into spontaneous laughter. But anyway, I'm not sure I'd be able to talk if it weren't for this coat. So uh, laugh all you like, David. The podcast is happening. Yes, I'm only two days into uh, jet lag and it's going uh, worse rather than better. I was up at 4.30 this morning. David is looking fresh as a daisy. He's been back in the UK since... When did he fly back, David? Uh, Tuesday I've been back since. So, uh, yeah, I've had my, my horrendous nights of waking. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't matter who I talk to in tennis. I, I, I got a note from Jamie Delgado the other day saying... Did know, it say, hashtag let's do this on the end? Because he can't tweet without that hashtag anymore <laughs> well he needs to let's do this about jet lag uh, solutions because he appears after 25 years of been traveling now, i don't know anybody who's cracked it nobody everybody is miserable when they come back from these tournaments uh, i 
actually probably the only person who seems to be immune. There's one or two journalists. Mike Dixon from the Daily Mail seems to be hardened to it to a point where he doesn't seem to experience jet lag. But virtually every past player, champion, people that have been at the top of the game for 40 years, you know, 40 years ago, still complain about jet lag, waking up in the middle of the night, feeling rough all day. It's It's definitely tennis player problem isn't it and first world problems well and not even that because it's so specific it's just us lot who travel the tennis calendar whinging and you shared you shared your your plane home david with a tennis player didn't you i did i did uh, I, i've already name dropped jamie delgado which was uh, but you know it's rather... i believe he counts as a name drop these days oh well, how far he's come i i i, I definitely think jamie that you are a name drop there you go there's a there's a a, a compliment rafael nadal was on my plane home um and uh, i mean i in my attempts to get over jet lag i decided to to leave australia just a few hours after the final with the idea of getting back in the evening um and hopefully going straight to bed that didn't work but anyway uh, what it did mean is that when i arrived at the the airport, one of the very nice uh, people who works in tennis, uh, Giorgio Di Palermo, invited me into uh, one of the lounges, which, uh, which frankly, I had no business being in, given the, uh, the, the criteria of my ticket, uh, but he got me in. And I'm sitting there having a chat with him, and in walks Team Nadal, just about, ooh, three hours after the final in which Nadal had lost. So there was Carlos Costa, there was uh, Uncle Tony, there was Carlos Moya, and in walks Rafa with his baseball cap on. Quite interesting that nobody bothered him. You know, the whole time that we were there, we, 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 we took the flight as well. We ended up in, in Dubai, which sort of 12, 14 hours later, went also to the lounge there. There was nobody sort of harassing him which i found quite interesting and he seems yeah in pretty pretty good spirits it did remind me of about oh 10 10 maybe eight eight or nine years ago i took the same journey with him and he was up in not we weren't together we just <laughs> ended up on the same plane together and this was uh this was after this must have been 2009 it was so it's the year he won it and i remember it, we, we're traveling we're traveling back and Uncle Tony said to me, could we change seats? Because I was, for some reason, sitting next to Carlos Costa on my seat. And uh, I was using my miles to get an upgrade for once. And uh, Uncle Tony, I said, yes, Uncle Tony, no problem at all. You can sit here. That's absolutely fine. So I went and sat in the seat behind. And as you do, I looked over his shoulder at what he was watching on TV. He was watching the 2008 Wimbledon final over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) which <laughs> really amused me that is amazing <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, and then suddenly out of first class walks Rafael Nadal who was clearly sort of you know a little bit bored up there on his own so he came and just sat on the armrest of his uncle for about three hours very interesting also watching the 2008 Wimbledon final on loop he actually seemed utterly uninterested but Uncle Tony was, was right into it Right, cool off the tennis podcast. I've got no anecdote that can compete with that. I've never, to my knowledge, taken any kind of public transport with Rafael Nadal. A, a public transport-related thought has just occurred to me, though, David. This is the second, third station that we have recorded in. We're doing the tennis podcast Monopoly. We're, we could complete the Monopoly train set of tennis podcast recordings at some point. I think we might have to 
go to Fenchurch Street, though. I don't really know where that is, no, do you? We're, we're going to go up to the Midlands next, my neck of the woods, because I always have to keep coming down here, you know. And I, I mean, I don't understand the accents for a start. You and Dan Evans both. Speaking of which, there's been some Davis Cup happening, a lot of it involving Dan Evans because uh, Great Britain were taking on Canada in Ottawa. That tie ended yesterday and it ended uh, in controversial, sensational, unbelievable circumstances. I'm sure every one of you have heard about it by now. It doesn't take us to remind you, but Denis Shapovalov... Uh, was two sets to love down to Kyle Edmund in the decisive fifth rubber, Dan Evans having just uh, lost the fourth rubber to Vasek Pospisil. Uh, and upon losing a break of serve in that third set, hit out a ball into the crowd in uh, frustration, in anger, uh, and it incredibly hit uh, the umpire smack in the eye. Uh, pretty pretty nastily in fact I believe uh, slow-mo show it did bounce off the microphone first mercifully uh, but it was still a pretty hefty blow uh, and understandably Denis Shapovalov was uh, defaulted instantly and the match and the tie ended there and then it was really like nothing I've ever seen before David I don't know if you can recall anything similar the ITF have released a statement saying, uh, amongst other things, it was clear that Mr Shapovalov did not intend to hit Mr Gabas, who was uh, the uh, umpire, Arno Gabas. We understand he is doing okay. He was admitted to hospital for checks and he's got a very, very nasty bruising around his eye, but uh, no lasting damage does seem to be the uh, verdict at the moment. Uh, Shapovalov has apologised to him. He was very very contrite in press immediately. He does seem to understand the gravity of the situation and what he's done. However, David, I know you're very keen on, on the talking point, uh, certainly debating the issue of whether further sanctions or punishments are required in these such situations or whether we should just say an accident is an accident. Everyone seems pretty firmly agreed that while utterly reckless um, and uh, not behaviour to be uh, repeated ever it was an accident there's no question as to whether he intended to hit Arno Gabas he, he did not yeah he he just in the moment of red mist having lost his serve smashed a ball I imagine he was trying to do one of those sort of undercut sort of swipes that go into the rafters you know and he caught it, he caught it flush he caught it flat and it just went like an arrow um, diagonal. I mean, if it, if it hadn't hit the umpire in the in the eye or in the face, it was going to hit somebody unless something got in the way. And and so it was reckless at best. I mean, it was it was reckless. That, that that's what it was. And um, you know, it was endangering somebody, the crowd or or the umpire. And, and I mean, it could not have caught the umpire any more flush in the eye. And it was one of those moments where you watched it and. Everybody had a sharp intake of breath. I was watching it with my wife, and I, and I don't think she really caught what had happened. And I said, he's got to go. He's got to go for that. And it was obvious that this kid was going to have to be defaulted. But then the attention turns. Sorry, you've just said David Kidd. I, one of the things I didn't mention there in, in the intro to the discussion topic is that Denis Shapovalov is 17 years old. It's not an excuse, but it is an important fact. Yeah, it was... It was clearly one of those where he has not even considered the gravity of what he's doing. He hasn't considered where this ball's going. He's just 
crashed it into oblivion as far as he sees it, uh, having gone two sets and a, and a breakdown. But he's caught the umpire in a way that made me really, really fear for the, the guy's safety. I mean, you know, I, I don't know whether there is precedent on any tennis court of somebody having caught a, a ball in the eye to that level and, and ended up getting severe eye damage. But if ever it was going to happen, it was that. Because the, I've, I've not seen anybody take a ball in the face at that speed before. There are, the, the only precedent I can think of at all of that ilk is Henman in 1995 hitting a ball away, swatting it away into the net, and just as a, as a ball girl ran across and took it flush in the ear, I think, um, which, you know, again, complete accident, but, you know... Uh, it's one of those peculiar situations where intent doesn't come into it. It's all about the consequence of the action. I mean, balls are swatted away a lot with no consequence, no sanction, no punishment, simply because, happily, uh, by luck, there is no negative consequence. That's one of the peculiar things about these sorts of situations in sport, isn't it? It is, and, and this particular one, one of the reasons I, w- I wanted to debate it is because it was so clear ever since. I mean, 12 hours have passed since when it happened and we're now recording it, and there really isn't a clear verdict from people. It is split opinion right now as to, as to people's views. Those that think this is just an accident, you know, he's been defaulted, he's probably he's going to get fined, that should be the end of it accidents happen some people have that view others and and i was very interested that richard ings the former executive vice president of rules and competition of the atp this is a former umpire was very quickly into the debate to say this is the most serious incident of its type he has ever seen and a and a, and a proper suspension is required um i i I've, i was even i was surprised at the sort of force with which he came out with that view um, and there have been many others on social media at tennis podcast that we've canvassed that have that have felt actually something needs to be done about this to, to send a message to these players that they can't go around recklessly belting balls into oblivion when there are people in the way and here are just a few of them just firstly uh, as David mentioned Richard Ings he tweeted a substantial ban is required the player recklessly rocketed a ball at force hitting an umpire in the eye worst seen Jamie Baker a former British player who's uh, doing commentary for the BBC during the match replied to that I think that's a fairly harsh view accidents can happen anywhere much bigger issues in tennis than freak accidents Yevgeny Kafelnikov then weighed in you, you and he are Twitter buddies aren't you David he gets involved in all of your talking points he says come on guys with I think that's four exclamation marks default is hard enough punishment if you go beyond you could end kid career there are some grammatical errors in that but I will skim over them due to uh, the, the the language barrier I think we all know what Evgeny is getting at some uh, people that have interacted with at tennis podcast Richard Woodward to me the automatic default is enough of a sanction Nathan at Nathan 7 it's a tough one to judge on because each circumstance is different but I'd be asking for a few weeks ban to teach a lesson uh Susie says you have to have boundaries as in all sports but stiffer warnings for near misses with rackets and balls are needed happens too often uh, Tony Brown whose uh, handle is at Tony Brown knows I don't know what he knows former West Bromwich Albion player Bomber Brown must Ooh. be that 
Crikey. Uh, it says, wasn't an accident, lashed out on purpose with unfortunate consequences. You make your own luck sometimes, and he made bad luck. And, well, Tony Brown knows. Uh, James Farrar, this needs a ban. It was indoors. He was bound to hit someone. Would he have been defaulted if he'd hit a fan, though? Interesting. Ali says, tougher sanctions for anyone hitting ball into crowd towards umpire. Dennis was just copying Novak and Andy. Uh, yeah, that's a very interesting one, isn't it? Because I was going to mention uh, what Dan King, if, uh, the Sun's tennis correspondent, tweeted. It's just a, a sort of a side point, but he was the journalist that took on Novak Djokovic at the O2. No, it was actually Neil McClemon, oh. the uh, the Mirrors uh, journalist, but a, a good colleague of, uh, of Dan's, yeah. Okay, well, yes. Uh, so, yeah, it was Neil McClemon, uh, excuse me, Neil, and Dan, uh, that took on Novak Djokovic uh, the O2 last year over uh, uh, Novak's ball abuse with with minimal consequences, but that he was tackled on it for exactly this reason, the, the reason that the the consequences of ball racket abuse can sometimes be entirely unintended and, and Dan King tweeted yesterday and that by the way is why questions to Djokovic and anyone else about ball smashes and racket tosses are entirely justified and I'd agree with that you know there's there's no question over whether any of these incidents were intended but the fact is consequences can be unintended and, and pretty negative so I think it entirely justifies the line of questioning to any of the top players and that is a fair point you know the copying Murray uh, and Djokovic I've never seen Andy Murray do anything of the like yesterday but but the fact is these young players have grown up watching these guys and we talk about some of their less good behavior on the court and some of it's more pernicious than others but the players that are coming through now have grown up watching them rather than perhaps Nadal and Federer, who are the absolute figures of virtuousness on the court, aren't they? And and there are consequences to that. It does have an effect on the generations coming through. I should say, Andy, was it just over a year ago, kicked a ball away in anger that very nearly hit Damien de Massois, the umpire. I mean, obviously, it's not going to have the same degree of force to which uh, Shapovalov hit away his ball. I don't think Djokovic's was was in the same ballpark in terms of ferocity, and he also hit it into the ground. But the, the wider point is, and I think what Neil McClemon was getting at, as much as the danger... To, to the crowd as much of it was you actually you, there is a default for that if you hit somebody you are kind of dicing with trouble there in terms of the rules as much as anything Novak just wasn't having it I, I think one of the nice things about Shapovalov now maybe he had uh, somebody from a public relations perspective in his ear I felt it was a really heartfelt um, statement that he came out with instantly, virtually in the press conference, to, to, to say, this is on me, I, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed. Yeah, it, d- it didn't feel staged, did it? It definitely felt heartfelt uh, and, and spontaneous and, and yeah, um, genuine, completely genuine. And, and, and I think that the wider point is, should more be done about this kind of thing? Should, although this was unintentional and although he's he's accepting blame should an example be made of this kind of thing so that it sends a message to players that you can't just get away with this because what what's quite interesting is the journalists kind of tend to back up one another in terms of uh, of the, of the the issue with questioning Djokovic the players tend to back up one another Kafelnikov Baker saying we've got accidents can happen these sort of things 
And then the, and but that's why I felt Richard Ings' position was quite interesting that he was so strong that this should be a serious suspension. Now, do you do you come up with a if you're going to add any additional sanctions to what are already there? Do you either clarify and, and particularly lay out what those are? I if you let go of your racket in smashing it then or throwing it away and it has the potential to cause damage do you have a grading system for what for what the punishment is whether it's loss of points loss of game loss of a match loss of prize money suspension or do you literally say right well we have to take it on its merits and come to a decision because this guy in his in his reckless frustration could have cost this guy's eye do do you actually look at that on its own individual characteristics. But once you start looking at could-haves, it's very, very difficult, isn't it? Which is why we have a consequence-based system which is completely inadequate. I do agree, it's completely inadequate because we currently have a system where if you throw your racket and don't break it, you don't receive a warning for racket abuse. But if you really give it, if you're really good at throwing your racket and you do break it, you get a warning for racket abuse. I mean, that's a completely laughable situation. I understand why it's come to that, and I can't propose a better solution that doesn't end up with people in ludicrous punishments for any niggly little... You know, players have to be able to express themselves on court. You love aggro. You want more aggro. You know, where's the line between a a mild racket toss or, you know, what what we've seen Marcus Bagdartis and Coco Vanderway do at change of ends, you know... Anything, anything freakish could happen. You know, a splinter could come off and, and land in someone in the crowd. I don't, I don't know. It, it, so yeah, you end up with a slight. You could easily end up end up with a slightly ludicrous situation where you're punishing things for any number of highly unlikely things that could happen as a consequence of quite legitimate expressions of emotion on a tennis court. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one because I tend to go by my gut instincts with a lot of these things, and you know how much I enjoy a racket smash. You know how much I enjoy a row. I enjoyed it when Dan Evans was getting into it with everybody on the bench uh, for Canada. Um, I, I find it hilarious when Stan Wawrinka bends a racket over his knee. Somebody was saying, actually, that's not a bad idea of a way to do it. Um, you know, to, to minimise danger. Uh, I, I, I find it hilarious when Coco Vanderway and Marcus Bagdatis break all the rackets in the bag. I did not find that hilarious yesterday. I felt sick watching that. And so, I, you know, um, um, and I don't really know where, where, I, where, where I fall in terms of a conclusion to all this. I, I, think, I think you're probably the majority of, of, of feeling. There's just a gut feeling that one thing deserves harsher punishment than the other, but gut feeling does not legislation make. Um, and that's the issue that we have here. I'm not Should sure we're going to reach a... Con- oh, no. Well, we, we ran a pole vault on this uh, about an hour and ooh, seven minutes ago. And uh, the 356 people that have voted, uh, Shapovalov was defaulted and is likely to be fined should he receive further sanctions. Yes, ban, because a lesson is needed. 31% say that. 69% say, no, it was an accident. That will suffice. I think broadly, I think it's a really complex one. I think broadly, I think, no, nothing further is needed because... An example has been made. I mean, this guy has cost his country, his teammates, a crucial Davis Cup rubber. I mean, as examples and lessons go, I'm not sure it comes much more harsh than that. And uh, his response satisfies me that he understands the gravity of it. But then 
yeah, that it, it, a different player in a different circumstance with a different response, you might feel differently. So I'm really disappointed that, you know, I was gearing up to prepare the agenda with talking about, you know, win or lose, just what a brilliant, exciting talent Denis Shapovalov is. I talked about it in my monologue podcast in Toronto last year when he had that little run, beat Nick Kyrgios along the way. I truly believe that he, um, if he can put certain certain very currently obvious elements of his uh, game personality to one side and I do believe everybody seems to be backing up that he is a very good kid you know from good family he's you know he has the ingredients of uh, of a great tennis player and you know the prospect of him and and Zverev battling it out in five years time as the the Murray and Djokovic I think is a very real one um, and he's a fantastic fantastic talent but uh, Kyle Edmund was on top of him it has to be said and is kind of seems by the by now to talk about what actually happened tennis wise important win for him though I mean put a, put aside the ending he was handily winning that match in a very professional manner and I feel that Kyle Edmund needed that big time because that was as he acknowledged a completely substandard performance against Vasek Pospisil I think the, the conditions contributed to it it's perfect for Pospisil lightning fast he could play his kind of tennis and Edmund is going to be a clay court player at heart that is going to be his his very best performances the ones we're going to talk about in years to come are the ones Kyle Edmund puts in on a clay court in my opinion but you know great professionalism shown from him to come out and, and front up, frankly, because Evans did what he could. He was he was beaten by the better player in that reverse rubber. He actually played quite well, I thought, Evans. But Pospisil, superb. And for, for, for Edmund to still come out and create a winning scenario for Britain in that fifth rubber, that showed showed some, some, some guts. Yeah, I agree. It was important. Important tie, potentially, even though they lost it, potentially for Vasek Pospisil as well, who we talked about in one of the Australian Open podcasts he, I mean, he's just disappeared off the face of the planet in terms of top tennis uh, in terms of, yeah, how top tennis is concerned, so um, maybe this will be good news for him, so Great Britain progress uh, to the quarterfinals where they will play away to France who beat Japan 4-1 without the snubbed he was left out of the squad. Apparently, he has not shown sufficient commitment to representing his country in the eyes of Yannick Noah. Elsewhere in the Davis Cup, we have hashtag Mr. Davis Cup. He's got his own hashtag, does Steve Darcy of Belgium. He has done it again. He beat, he beat Philip Kohlschreiber and Sasha Zverev uh, en route to Belgium's 4-1 victory over Germany. Germany would have been the heavy favourites going into that one. What a team they've got. And yet Belgium absolutely trounced them there I mean yeah Steve Darcy is just one of those marvels of the Davis Cup isn't he Belgium now uh, play well actually at the time that I wrote this agenda it was the fifth rubber between Argentina and Italy was still in progress David do you have an update no, I don't, but let's keep talking and I can Google it. <laughs> OK, so uh, Belgium will play either Argentina or Italy. Very interesting, actually. Argentina with a severely depleted uh, team, the defending champions, obviously. For obvious reasons, Del Potro not playing. But incredibly, Federico Del Bonis opted out of playing that Davis Cup. So, I mean, what bigger fish has Federico Del Bonis got to fry? But he's not helping his country to defend uh, the Davis Cup 
Uh, but anyway, there we go. Argentina, they were two all. I'm still talking. They were playing Italy. Uh, it was in a fifth rubber. This was at about 5am this morning. It is still in progress. That is the update we have for you. It is. The score currently is... Hang on a second. It's two, it's two rubbers apiece, and it's Guido Payer against Andrea Seppi <laughs> to decide who wins. But we can't get a score update. Send, send in your guesses now for what the score is in that match. We'll try to get to the bottom of that. It'd be a heck of a shock if Argentina do go out uh, in the first round. But anyway, uh, elsewhere in the Davis Cup, Djokovic, he uh, helps Serbia uh, to a pretty easy win over a very young Russian team, Kachanov and Medvedev in that one. Uh, great experience for them. Serbia will now play Spain. They beat Croatia 3-2, despite David, despite the heroics of Franco Skugor. Victor, you mean? <laughs> no, now that he's, you know, done something on the world stage, he deserves me to get his name right. Franco Skugor. Remember the name, guys. He's on a charge. Uh, he scored uh, an incredible victory over Pablo Carena Busta, uh, but Croatia lost uh, in spite of that. Uh, Nick Kyrgios, he helped Australia to victory over a very depleted Czech team. I was still in Australia uh, while the opening uh, rubbers of that were taking place, and Australia were getting very excited about it. All they think they're going to win the Davis Cup, and who knows, they could. They will now play at the USA and that will be again in Australia because of that funny uh, deal that uh, Australia and America came to about 20 years ago which still is affecting uh, the Davis Cup to this day yeah I don't really understand it but uh, yeah read Chris Clary's piece in the New York Times as always he's the default person to go to uh, to understand the politics of all that (laughs) many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Yes, best not tackled again. And we tried to tackle it last year, didn't we? And we gave it a good go, but... 
failed. <laughs> we failed. Uh, Chris Clary definitely said it best. So while David is still scrambling around trying to get... No, we've given up on that. I think you might just need to look up what happened in that what looks to be a thrilling uh, tie between Argentina and Italy. You might just need to look up the results. The Fed Cup, David. The Fed Cup starts this week. It's never-ending on the uh, tennis team treadmill. Uh, we have world group matches between the Czech Republic and Spain. Muguruza will play for Spain. Czech Republic have got Pliskova, uh, Stritzova and Safarova. Uh, the USA with Vandewey Risk, Shelby Rogers, Matek Sands take on Germany. A Kerber-free Germany. I think she probably just needs some time away from tennis altogether. Belarus, whose higher-ranked, highest-ranked player is uh, Sasnovic at 129. They take on the Netherlands, led by Kiki Burtons. Switzerland They've got a good team, Bashinsky, Bencic, Hingis. They take on France, who have only named three players in their team. And none of them is Caroline Garcia. But one of them uh, is Kiki Nadenovic, who won her first tour event this week. Yeah, and a great story, actually, for, because, you know, it was it was St. Petersburg. Incidentally, if you get a chance to have a look at any of the highlights of that, have a look on the WTA website for two things. One is the way they put on the show there. They really do go to town in terms of the intros. They're very imaginative, all sorts of light shows and music and really, really imaginative. And the, the other thing is, I mean, any time you watch Yulia Patintseva play, it's pretty emotional and pretty, uh, pretty engaging. I mean, she's not everybody's cover tea, but my goodness, she's fun to watch. And Mladenovic as well. You know, sometimes when you re- were reading all this stuff off the Davis Cup, the Fed Cup this week, and, and obviously St. Petersburg as well, sometimes think this is just too much tennis in a way. You're straight off the back of Nadal and Federer. Why aren't we using this podcast to just sort of, you know, reflect on that? It, it, you kind of feel as though that is needed in a way. Same time, that was a, that was a career maker for Kiki Miladinovic. She may, you know, I think she's good enough to do much more in the game than she is. I think she could probably do herself a few favours by playing less doubles in a way. I think she's got a great game, good fun to watch. But, you know, this is somebody who, this may be her career peak right now, winning that title, and it meant the world to her. Have a look at her on court victory speech. It was really something. I mean, I really don't think she should be looking at it as potentially her career peak. I don't know why she hasn't had many peaks like that. OK, maybe she's not a world number one, but I think she has every chance of being a top ten player, frankly. I mean, she looks... If you were creating a tennis robot, you would create her, I think. She's sort of the the perfect physique. She's got that very balanced... Uh, very very balanced physique tall but not too tall she's got excellent technique I don't know why she hasn't had more you know perhaps not Grand Slam finals and the like but more wins the like of which we've seen uh, this week and I completely agree with you about St Petersburg and I almost think they have to try that hard to get the world's attention don't they because you're right there should be a period of quiet reflection after an Australian Open like the one we've just had and then I, I heard a lot of people going oh my goodness there's tennis happening again and it's in Russia and it's cold and you know what's the tennis universe playing at uh, but actually it was great uh, and people did set up and take attention uh, pay attention and Venus Williams was there she lost in the second round, but she seemed to have a great time shopping for Fabergé eggs, according to the WTA website. So uh, good for her. Svitolina had a win uh, in Taiwan. She beat Peng Shui in the final. Just quickly going back to the Fed Cup for uh, uh, GB listeners. They're playing in Europe, Africa, Group 1. Uh, and these Europe, Africa and Group 
uh, pool things that happen in the Fed Cup are quite uh, complicated and convoluted, but actually very exciting if you take the time to pay attention uh, and get into them. They've been drawn in Group C, uh, in Pool C, with Portugal, Latvia and Turkey. So there you go. Indeed, and uh, we, we try to stay objective here on the tennis podcast, but I'd just like to say a bit of a good luck to, to Anne Kiothamon, because she's somebody I commentate with on BT Sport. She's her first tie as a Fed Cup captain, and uh, she's put together, a, you know, I suppose pretty much the obvious team with, with, with Conta leading it, but good luck to her, because she's, she's, she's going to do a great job, I think. She is. They've got uh, Laura Robson, Heather Watson, Joe Conta and Jocelyn Ray for uh, for a bit of a hand in the doubles. So that's what's going on there. I've got one item in any other business, David, and it is Nadal Federer related. So there is going to be some quiet reflection, uh, as, as I believe is necessary, because I don't think anybody's got over it, really. It's still... I, I, yeah, I don't know how long it's going to take, but D- David's looking at me very funnily. I, I was just noticing that when you said, let's have some quiet reflection for Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal, all the announcements in the, <laughs> in the station just sort of stopped. It's the power we have, guys. Would that happen in Fenchurch Street Station? I don't know. Uh, but the any other business item I have, uh, and it's a talking point I've seen raised a fair bit, and I think it's a completely valid one to raise whether or not you agree with it is do these throwback finals throwback tournaments the successes of these 35 year olds uh, do they reflect badly on the respective tours and and the the players that are supposedly the next generation or should be the current generation um you know the likes of well on one hand you've got i suppose the Raunichs, nishikoris and then behind them the teams and then behind them the zverevs and on the women's tour it's well it's Medenovic and garcia it's you know, behind that, Naomi Osaka, I think it's hard to point the finger too much at, at the really young ones because they just need to be given time. But uh, I've heard it argued, Naomi Cavaday, uh, a colleague of mine that I've worked with a lot doing commentary, she certainly uh, thinks it does reflect badly on the two tours. My personal feeling is that I understand the point and I think there is something to it, but I think that's far too simplistic a way of looking at it. I think the reason we cherished it so much is because we know it's a rarity now because time's running out for these guys they have to pass the baton but you know it's savoring something while you've got it uh and i and were we staring down the barrel of oh my goodness there are no other decent tennis players nadal and federer are still dominating we've been waiting for the next lot to come through for ages but they're still there at the top or serena and venus that would be different but that's not the case this was an unexpected nostalgic surprise and that's why it was wonderful yeah i i would agree with that and i i think it reflects badly on certain individuals in a way that i feel that they and maybe it just reflects that they're not as good as we thought they were maybe thomas burdick you know that that was a, a disappointing performance in a way from him but what could he do i mean the federer if for a couple of weeks Federer played about four or five matches that were were like watching him 10 years ago and he is still the greatest player of all time at his best his his best tennis that's what I would still say is the most unplayable of all when he's on and he's on the right surface um the others no I don't I don't buy it I I, I still think these players were playing at a level of tennis that that, that merited where they were and yeah 
these guys are not machines. Murray and Djokovic are not always going to be able to play at their very highest level. Yeah, maybe the the field were not able to cope and, and stop Federer, Nadal, um, Serena and Venus. I, I, I accept that, but I don't, I don't really think it reflects badly on tennis. I, for me, I'd much rather celebrate the fact that it reflects incredibly well on four of the best players the game has ever seen well that's it isn't it this is just a completely uh, freakish era Serena Djokovic uh, Serena well I mean yes Djokovic but that doesn't happen to be who we're talking about at the moment Serena Nadal and Federer are the three according to the stats greatest tennis players of all time in their respective domains Venus isn't far behind history will remember them them as such it's not just that they happen to be these old blokes that that are winning winning grand slam titles they are we just happen to be in an era with uh some some of if not the greatest tennis players of all time playing simultaneously and we should just enjoy it for as long as we can but i do i see the argument i i, I do see the argument uh, i see it too and on the subject of celebrating people while we can bit of news just coming in just as we upload this podcast uh, for you all to listen to is that Rafael Nadal is returning to the grass of Queens the Aegon Championships in June and Catherine and I will be there to see if Rafa can can make another run at it I mean quite interesting that he he missed last year obviously with the wrist problem but in that period where he reached his Wimbledon finals and didn't he what did he reach like Five in six years because he reached the 06, 07, 08 finals couldn't play 09 and then he played 10 and 11 so that's five in six years and each one of those five he got to the quarterfinals or better at Queen's that obviously works for him if he's fit so anyway great for us we get to see him again if Wimbledon was held next week who would be the favourite? I've just I mean I know that sounds awfully like Ooh, a pole vault question. which I don't now we're having which, isn't <laughs> but who would be the favourite? Would Roger Federer be the favourite if Wimbledon were held next week? That is an absolutely fantastic... And would Rafael Nadal be the second favourite? I mean, I'm assuming Serena will, would be the favourite. That, that, that sort of goes without saying for me. But go on, on the spot. Right, well, first of all, Tuesday morning is when I'm going to put out that pole vault because that's brilliant, Catherine. I'm so pleased that you got into the spirit. It's a question. It's not a pole vault. It's definitely going to get pole vaulted. Um, I, I, would, I would make Andy Murray the favourite for Wimbledon right now, still. Um, bear in mind that it's four months off. He's also playing Queen's. Also playing Queen's, lifetime commitment, so he'll be there for as long as he, as long as he carries on playing the game. He'll be 52. <laughs> still playing. Now that's just me. He'll be fifty-two and still there. Um, the the fact is, he's the reigning champion. Uh, is is Andy Murray? He's had one blip at the start of the year. Very sensibly, as it turns out, taking a break now and uh, and and recharging his batteries. He's the favourite for me um, as things stand for Wimbledon. Djokovic and Federer. I would I would put Federer marginally second favourite. I think based on how many he's won and how good he looks right now long long time to go though no no it's it's tomorrow it's next week it's oh. not long no i'm saying if wimbledon were held tomorrow oh or next week who you've not just who's the favorite for wimbledon well, any old any old person cannot no, no we can't have two pole vaults we can barely have well, one pole vault one. we can barely have one pole vault anyway can i answer that one yeah. uh i if it was held next week 
yeah, I'd say Federer would, would be the favourite to win it if it's next week. Nadal the second favourite? No, not for me. I, I think Nadal, the joint, joint third stroke fourth favourite. Yeah. Serena the favourite in the women's? Oh, unquestionably. Where's, where's Venus in the rankings? Uh, Venus would be about, ooh, Venus would be about three, I think, in, in, in the pecking order um, for Wimbledon if it's held next week. You know, she's probably a bit tired, so maybe it'd stick her further down. What do you think? I think that it's a blooming good job that Wimbledon isn't next week because it's about minus three degrees in London uh, right Stop. now, so it would yeah. practically be sort of ice rink tennis. I think if it were held next week, Federer would be the favourite. If he's just won a Grand Slam on hard court, he'd be more likely to win one on grass. But, but Who's it, the favourite for it, the real Wimbledon? Now, oh, that's impossible. That's impossible. Um, well, I'll go with Murray and or Djokovic because, I mean, with a completely hypothetical future prediction based on none of the facts you need at the time to make a prediction, you've got to just go with the rankings, haven't you? So Murray and or Djokovic and Serena and, oh, I mean, I don't know about Angelique. I just don't know what's going to happen to Angelique Kerber this year. I hope she regroups, but... Yeah, I, Coco Vanderweight. David's saying Coco Vanderweight. No, I mean, it's all getting too hypothetical, guys. Uh, it's all getting too hypothetical. But yes, l- luckily there is how many months before Wimbledon, before Queens? Five months for the temperature, hopefully, to uh, increase significantly. Because if not, I'm just going to go into hibernation. I think <laughs> I look like I already have. And on that note. I think it's time for me to have a nap, quite frankly. So uh, thanks very much for listening to this uh, cold tennis podcast back in the UK. We are brought to you in association with The Telegraph, as always, and we will speak to you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.